last one standing wins. <laughs> Professional Podcast. Drinking from human skulls. A professional podcast. Greetings once again. It's I, Doni, coming back once again for another episode of Drinking from Human Skulls. Welcome. Um... It's been a couple months. Look, I'm a busy dad. I got a new job. I gotta become a six-figure douchebag to support my family in this expensive part of the world that I find myself in. But there's a lot going on, a lot of developments all over the place. We've got Neil Young saying that Joe Rogan's a jerk for spreading disinformation. We've got Truckers honking across Canada, epicenter Ottawa, confronting Trudeau for his vile policies in an event called the Honkening. This is the Freedom Convoy. We'll talk about that in a dedicated episode coming soon. But I think the thing that got people's wheels spinning, if you'll pardon the pun, is the fact that the response to the COVID pandemic has really been revealed to be a significant failure. No matter how you slice it, the vaccines that we were forced to take don't work. The boosters don't do anything, and they're dangerous. They are now mandating these vaccines at this late stage, even though none of the science seems to point to them working at all or being worth the risk in any way for any age group, especially not children, the survival rate against this virus, even if you look at their fake numbers, which I'm sure they're fake, as will be revealed in this episode. And so it seems like people are starting to realize that all of this didn't matter. The response was totally unwarranted. The masking requirements, the school closures, everything, people are starting to really see that this is complete nonsense. And it was never meant to help protect public health. It seemed more to do with a lot of other factors like political control, economic well-being of the most wealthy corporations on the planet, and stripping human beings of their rights. And I think people are responding to that, both sides. You know, the Neil Young, Joe Rogan disinformation thing, hey, that's Really, the establishment trying to cling on for dear life. The honking, the Freedom Convoy up here in Canada, all these truckers uniting against the villainous mandates from Justin Trudeau. Well, that's obviously a response to people waking up en masse and saying, we're not going to take it anymore. So on one hand, we have the regime clinging on for dear life. And on the other hand, we have a giant movement saying, and no more, thank you, sir. That's enough, sir. And I think one thing that has really put the nail in the coffin for the COVID regime is the utter ignorance and ineptitude of those in power when it comes to the public health response. And there was a situation about A month ago now in America, down in the Supreme Court, where Joe Biden had this vaccine mandate that he came up with 
companies that had 100 employees or more were mandated to force their employees to get the vaccine or face, I guess, some sort of penalties. It's not really clear. It's very abstract. But that was elevated to the Supreme Court, and it was struck down, thank goodness gracious. And during the process, there was this one judge named Sodermeyer who just doesn't really live in reality. And through this process, people have gotten to see what the other side is thinking, and they are mentally unwell for sure. And by the way, it's not that I blame them for being mentally unwell, and certainly I'm experiencing this kind of thing right within my family. But the thing is, this fear state driven from the top, politicians, health officials, has driven people mad, and Judge Sodermeyer's comments are a perfect example of that. She, as a Supreme Court justice in America, felt it prudent to exaggerate based on nothing while making her adjudication for these unconstitutional and unwarranted vaccine mandate rules coming down from this wily and very decrepit president, Joe Biden. Get a load of these claims. This is a quote. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in serious condition, and many on ventilators due to the coronavirus, Sotomayor said on January 7th, 2022. And yeah, her claim is not supported by the data at all. So this is from a little roundup done by the Tampa Bay Times. They say, in all, 82,842 COVID-positive children, 17 and younger, have been admitted to the hospital since August 1st, 2020, and that's according to CDC data. So that's all time. Remember, the justice said that they've got 100,000 in the hospital right now, and many of them on ventilators. Okay. But then we've got this totally other stream of federal data that says... That 3,342 children were in the hospital due to COVID, and that number rises to 4,652 if we include suspected coronavirus cases. So what is that? I guess children have the sniffles, and then we say, and probably they have COVID, so mark it down as that. Nevertheless, what we've got here is a big discrepancy between what the CDC says, what the Supreme Court justice says, and what... The federal data says, and so a lot of people have been asking the question, what's the real thing? Because obviously it matters, because there are a bunch of people who are considering getting this experimental vaccine for their five-year-old children and above, and they'd love to know the real numbers. So it's really relevant that we have a Supreme Court justice who's inflating the numbers beyond the CDC, and the CDC apparently seems to be inflating the numbers beyond the actual reality as well. And so who has the true data? So there's an interview which I think is extremely compelling and gives you a little peek behind the curtain at the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, the queen of science. And she's being interviewed by Brett Baer on Fox. He's extremely fair to the point where this seems like a pre-planned segment. But um, it's a 14-minute clip. There's a lot of little fun bits. So we'll listen. I'll comment. Take a drink. 
Joining us now, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Dr. Walensky, welcome back Good to morning. Fox News Sunday. Good morning. Good morning, Brad. Good to be with you. You, know, you just heard about the U.S. Supreme Court currently deciding the fate of the president's vaccine mandates. In the questioning, Justice Sonia Sotomayor made this statement. We have over 100,000 children which we've never had before in, in serious condition and uh, many on ventilators. Now, we can find from Friday suggests there are fewer than 3,500 current pediatric hospitalizations from COVID-19. Is that true? Yeah, but, you know, here's what I can tell you about our pediatric hospitalizations now. First of all, the vast majority of children who are in the hospital are unvaccinated. And for those children who are not eligible for vaccination, we do know that they are most likely to get sick with COVID if their family members aren't vaccinated. So the most important thing we can do for those children to keep them out of the hospital is to vaccinate them and to vaccinate their family members around them. Understood. But the we numbers are going to interject right here. So when talking about children who are too young to get the vaccine. She says the solution to keeping those children safe is for everyone to get the vaccine and then for them to get the vaccine too. That's what she said. I don't know if she realized she said that, but what we do know is that she said that instead of answering a very simple question. So let's see what she says next. It's not 100,000. It's roughly 3,500 in hospitals now. It, Yes, there are, there are. And in fact, what I will say is while pediatric hospitalizations are rising, they're still about 15 fold less than hospitalizations of our older age, age demographics. Do you have a number of children on ventilators? Um, I do not know, have that off the top of my head, but what I can say is for I, I don't believe there are um, any in many of these hospitals who are vaccinated. So really, the highest risk of being uh, on a ventilator if you're a child is if you're unvaccinated. We also have recent data um, out just this week that's demonstrated that dangerous MISC syndrome that we're seeing in children, 91% protection if you've been vaccinated. But the risk of death or serious illness in children is still very small, right? Comparatively, the risk of death um, is small, but of course, you know, children are supposed to die. So, yeah. you know, if we have a, a child who's been, who is sick with COVID-19, we want to make sure that um, they, uh, we want to protect them, of course. Right. But I'm talking from your data, ages 15 to 24, for example, the risk of death is at 0.001%. Um, I, I guess what I'm getting at in this opening is that the, the Supreme Court is in the process of dealing with this big issue about mandates. And do you feel a responsibility as a CDC director to correct a very big mischaracterization by one of the Supreme Court justices? Yeah, I, um, here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you that right now, 17, you're, if you're unvaccinated, you're 17 times more likely to be in the hospital and 20 times more likely to die than if you're on, than if you're boosted. And so what my responsibility is, is to provide guidance and recommendations to protect the American people. Seems pretty obvious to me that she's trying to cover for this Obama appointed Democrat Supreme Court justice. I don't know about you, but she's dodged the question, I think, twice now explicitly. And she said, well, I'll tell you this. Instead, you're 17 times more likely to be in the hospital 
if you don't have the vaccine compared to if you're boosted. So now she's added some extra layer of confusion. Wait, do you mean unvaccinated compared to vaccinated people? Or are we only including people who have now been boosted as that? It seems like she's trying to insert keywords, either that or she's reading off the back of a pharmaceutical company pamphlet. Which one is it, Dr. Rochelle? Those recommendations strongly uh, recommend vaccination for our children above the age of five and boosting for everyone above the age of 18 if they're eligible. Oops, sorry, I spoke too soon. Uh, She's recommending everyone above the age of 18 gets a booster. Why not everyone above the age of 12? Does she not explain that? This whole thing is about children. And she's saying, well, you know what? Everyone above the age of 18 has got to get that booster to solve this problem. What are you talking about, lady? All right, let's just continue. Take a drink. Mm. Speaking of statistics, uh, it seems to make a big difference if a person in the hospital is in the hospital for COVID-19 or with COVID-19. It's been almost a year since you've been running the agency. Do we have that split on numbers? Um, you know, what I will say is it differs by each variant. So um, some variants. Whoa, stop right there. Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't differ with every variant. The question was simple. Do we have people who are dying of COVID-19 exclusively? Or is it the case that people are dying simply with COVID-19? They were probably on their way out anyways. Is that the case or is that not the case It's a pretty simple question, if you ask me, and um, she can't answer it. She's floundering around, and you'll hear even more floundering to come. And it's kind of an important question, because in America, they have over 800,000 deaths attributed to COVID-19, and it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Like, why would we be doing so much better per capita in Canada compared to America. Now, the obvious thing you might point out is that in Canada, we have a national healthcare system. But honestly, I can tell you from experience, they're not delivering better care here than in America. And the same kind of stuff is going on with the suppression of treatments. The same protocols are being followed. If you get COVID here in Canada, you go home and basically ride it out in quarantine. And if you get really bad, then come back to the hospital. That's the same thing. Same thing that's going on. I think the obvious elephant in the room here is the suggestion that there's some sort of perverse financial incentive to ticking the COVID-19 box and then claiming some sort of benefit that goes along with that. So you tell me. I mean, I'm not sure. How insidious is this thing? That's where Brett Baer's question is coming from, is this sentiment. So um, pretty soon this is going to be blown wide open. We'll get the real info. And it just doesn't seem to track that America, you know, probably the most resourceful country in the world is doing the worst with COVID per capita. I don't buy that. Not for a second. And by the way, to be clear, even though their performance is really low, let's also be very crystal clear the chances of even somebody 70 plus dying from this thing, it's a very low percentage chance. And that's with vaccine or without. So anyways, let's keep listening. 
First of all, we're doing screening of many uh, in many hospitals of everybody who's walking in the door. Um, what we're seeing with the Omicron variant is that um, it tends to be milder person by person, but given how large the numbers are, that we're seeing more and more cases come into the hospital. In some hospitals that we've talked to, up to 40% of the patients who are coming in with COVID are coming in not because they're sick with COVID, but because they're coming in with something else and have uh, had to COVID or the Omicron variant detected. Wait a second. So nearly half of the people who come into the hospital coming in for something else completely different, they're going to the hospital because they feel that their life may be in danger. And by proxy of coming in for that thing, they're being told that they have COVID. 40% of the cases are due to that. So they had no idea that they had COVID, but they came in and we're diagnosed with it anyways. Does it seem okay to you to drum up the hysteria by 40%? Those 40%, that 40% of people presumably are not going in because they have COVID symptoms. They're going in with something else entirely. And they didn't even know they had COVID. So right away, this suggests two things that potentially could answer what's going on here. Either the symptoms aren't that bad or the tests are janky. Which one is it, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky? Because you and your department and affiliated organizations with similar viewpoints are drumming up hysteria that has driven literally half the population to insanity. It's reprehensible what's going on right now. And I'll just say personally in my family, I'm estranged from half of my family. They're afraid to get together because we haven't had the vaccine. My wife is pregnant and we're not going to get the vaccine. I'm not going to get it. She's not going to get it. It's not even finished stage three trials. And by the way, I know exactly how this thing works and I wouldn't get it anyways. It's dangerous. I've talked about it at length before. So... This is the situation we're in because of these inflated numbers, because of this hysteria, policies are being warped and public perception is being warped as well. So is this what the CDC directors want? Right. But I guess, do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course. With Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Okay, uh, Dr. Rochelle, um, this isn't uh, like a university 101 class. He's asking you a very simple question. Um, do you have the data out of all the 836,000 deaths? How many of them are due to COVID or how many of them are due to just all the comorbidities? I mean, it's a simple, straightforward question. And then she goes into this spiel about Omicron. Well, okay, the data is forthcoming on Omicron. What about the data for all of the other deaths? And by the way, there aren't that many Omicron deaths. So that's insignificant. She's floundering, folks. Let's keep listening. Take a drink. But, you know, the questioning in the Supreme Court also said that Omicron was as deadly as Delta. That is not true, right? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Omicron is not as deadly as Delta, at least by your data right now, right? 
We are starting to see data from other countries that indicate um, on a person-by-person basis it may not be. However, given the volume of cases that we're seeing with Omicron, we very well may see death rates rise uh, dramatically. All right. So I guess what she's trying to say, person by person basis. So I guess maybe what that means is it's not as deadly, but since there's more people who are getting it, therefore there may be more deaths. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, actually. Um, if a thousand people get a very minor cold, what are the chances that someone's going to die from that? I think the only way that someone would die from a minor cold is if they had comorbidities, which is exactly what he's talking about. What she doesn't seem to understand is what Brett Baer is saying is that this whole thing has been overblown. And do you agree? And what do we have to worry about with Omicron if there are virtually no deaths attributed to it? Like it's Almost as if the more people that die, the better her job security is. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Wouldn't it be great if the CDC director could say, you know what? We got this thing on lockdown. Don't worry about it. Go about your lives as usual. Hey, instead, she's saying, well, you know what? Those deaths might be coming, so let's just buckle down. Oh, my golly. Hold on to your hats. The deaths could be coming. Anyway. Let's keep listening. Okay, uh, back to the mandates for a second. People are losing their jobs. More than 220 Marines, sailors, um, airmen have been kicked out of the military uh, for refusing to get vaccinated. Healthy service members, uh, some of them have circulating antibodies in their blood from past infections, uh, but they're not the antibodies the government recognizes. Is that fair? Um, You know, I think the thing that's most disruptive to um, any business or industry is to have half their workforce out because they're sick with COVID. We have seen with the Omicron variant that um, prior protection protects you less well than it had with um, with the current uh, with than it had with prior variants. Oh, my golly, folks. I mean, she's just making me crack up. It's just unreal to me how this person is actually capable of stringing together a sentence, let alone taking a breath and not falling flat in her face with every single waking moment. I'm surprised that she's capable of more than a goddamn slug is. And trust me, I don't want to feel that way about anyone. But she just so happens to be in a position of power, and this is how low-grade she is. Again, what Brett asked was a very simple, straightforward question. These people have antibodies, but they lost their jobs because they don't have the quote-unquote correct antibodies that the government thinks they should have due to these mandates. And her response is, I'm going to quote her. What she says is, I think the most disruptive thing to any business or industry is to have half of their workforce out because they're sick with COVID. We have seen that the Omicron variant, that um, prior protection protects you less well than it had with um, the current, uh, than it had with prior variants. So um, forgive me if you don't understand what I just said, but that's a direct quote. And literally, I'm having trouble piecing it together myself as I read it. I just heard it, and I don't really know what she's trying to say. Is this to compel you to get the vaccine? Because it seems like what that is suggesting is the only thing that you can hope to do is boost yourself endlessly to hope that you get some semblance of protection against a variant that doesn't seem to be doing anything to cause death. 
So this is not a compelling case. And it really just seems like she's trying to sell vaccines. Like her prerogative is to just toe the line for pharmaceutical interests. It doesn't make any sense. Her job is to control disease. It's called the Center for Disease Control. So it seems she's fully bought into this lie that the only solution here is to get everyone vaccinated. Well, a ton of people are vaccinated. How many people need to be vaccinated so that this thing goes away? Could it be that the vaccines don't work? Could it be that the immunity from the vaccine only protects you from severe illness, quote unquote? I mean, that's what they're saying. And therefore, how could they stop the spread? It seems that they're not really doing the job of stopping the spread. And so therefore, to say vaccines are the only solution is an outright lie. And again, it's coming from the top vaccine salesperson who also happens to be the director of the CDC. Is it cool? This is the world we live in. This is how low the bar is. Let's keep listening. So having previous infection seems to not protect you as well as um, against Omicron. Um, right now, I think the most important thing to do is to protect Americans. We do that by getting them vaccinated and getting them boosted. Yeah, and I know that's the message, but the Omicron variant is infecting the vaccinated. It, and the vaccinated are transmitting the, the virus, correct? Um, that is true. Um, it's infecting them at a lower rate. And importantly, those people who are um, vaccinated and infected with Omicron um, are not the ones who are ending up very sick in the hospital. Those are the people who are unvaccinated. Isn't it kind of shocking that the director of the CDC can't pull up these numbers right away? She says, yeah, it's still infecting people, but um, at a lesser rate. And the people who end up going to the hospital are always the unvaccinated. Well, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. You've got to show the numbers. And she's just talking in generalities. This is the entire reason why they're asking this question. You can't bark out mandates and edicts and guidances and expect people to abide by them if you don't provide any numbers. And as well, you know what this proves? This proves that you're only getting the vaccine for personal protection. And so, therefore, to issue a mandate on something that doesn't stop the spread and only provides personal protection, why on earth would that be a mandated thing? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would people lose their jobs for not protecting themselves? Do you see my point? It doesn't make sense because there's all these unknowns in this untested experimental vaccine. So, in order to take that, you have to, number one, be fairly convinced that you need to take it and based on the numbers and based on the generalities that the CDC talks in, it's not really a compelling argument to want to take that risk and take this vaccine. It seems like everyone now knows somebody who got screwed up by this vaccine. I'm just talking to people randomly and they tell me their stories. I'm talking to people that I meet online and they tell me their stories. I'm talking to people I meet in real life and they tell me their stories. I'm talking to all sorts of people. They tell me their stories about somebody that they know who had an adverse reaction with the vaccine, and it runs the gamut from serious to just mild discomfort. But why on earth would you take this if you are not in any danger of dying from COVID-19? And in this very interview, it seems proven that they're juicing the numbers, they're testing everyone, and they're getting up to 40% of the cases from people who walk in for something else, and they happen to test positive for COVID. So think about this for a second. If we have 
up to 40% of people coming in to the hospital not knowing they have COVID and testing positive. And then we have people going to the doctor's office or whatever who have mild cases of sniffles testing positive. What's that number? Because that number plus 40% and give me a few more variables other than they're the ones who aren't vaccinated because we know that's not true. If you reverse engineer several of the statements in this very interview, we know it's not true. So what is the real number? What is the real danger? Why are you, as the CDC director, in the business of creating hysteria? It's not her job to create hysteria. It's her job to make sure that diseases are controlled. Right. But will the CDC take natural immunity seriously to study its effect on the big picture? Uh, for example, why not include recovery from infection as the equivalent of at least one shot the way other countries do? Um, yeah, you know, we have taken this very seriously. Several uh, months ago, we provided a scientific brief with dozens of studies providing the updated science with this. Um, of course, that science is ever evolving, um, as has this uh, has as has this variant. And so, we need to um, update that science with regard to what we learn about Omicron, which so far has demonstrated that prior infection protects you less well. Prior protection protects you less well. But the vaccines don't work, except maybe to prevent a severe outcome or whatever they're trying to spin it as. So therefore, get the vaccine is the logic. Okay, it doesn't make any sense. As recently as this past week, President Biden called this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. According to your CDC data, the Omicron variant accounts for 95.4% of cases. Delta is 4.6% of cases. Again, the vaccinated are getting this infection. They're transmitting it to others. Considering all of that and these percentages, how is it that pandemic of the unvaccinated is a terminology that should be used? You know, we do know that people who are vaccinated are still protected about 70% against infection, especially if they're boosted. Um, so the people who are ending up in the hospital, the people who are ending up very sick with Omicron are the ones who are unvaccinated. You know what? This is becoming a cult. It's crazy because everything that she says is broad sweeping generalities. And the thing is, I think, honestly, most people are just not that tuned in to understand that she's lying. There's still a lot of people out there who really do believe that this woman has their best interests at heart and that she's qualified to be running the Center for Disease Control. So anyway, she's there talking about how the vaccinated are protected by 70 percent against infection really muddying the waters here. Are they protected against infection or are they protected against severe disease? Which one is it? You have 40% of the people coming into the hospital for something totally unrelated, no symptoms, and they're testing positive for COVID. Seemingly, those people are having no trouble whatsoever, but they're still added to that number percentage of people in the hospital. So, this lady's not dialed in. She's not explaining it very well. She's in the hot seat rather than telling us what's going on. Because whenever they tell us what's going on, people get confused. People have tons of questions. This is what I don't understand. How do these people keep their jobs when they fail all the time? And they are public servants. It's not like they're beholden to some corporate bureaucracy where they can maybe kiss ass, make the right people feel special and keep their positions. It's not like that at all. They're beholden to the taxpayer. They're beholden to the people. In some capacity, at least that's how it's supposed to work. 
and yet they still stick around, fail, fall flat on their face, and flounder like little fishies. You mentioned the the confusion about the guidance um, and... Over the past year, the most recent example, obviously, is on isolation and testing. But other guidance is the mask wearing, educators uh, being vaccinated before returning to the classroom. Before you took this job officially, you emphasized that one of your primary goals was to restore public trust. But in this time, do you think that it's fair to say that the, the trust and confidence of the public has gone down with the CDC? Um, thank you, Brett. You know, this is hard. We have ever-evolving science with an ever-evolving variant, um, and my job is to provide updated guidance in the context of rapidly rising cases. Just want to interject and say the context here, 40% of those cases are basically non-existent. Really want to drive this point home. 40% of those rising cases that they're responding to are not even cases people didn't even know they had COVID, weren't scared of the virus, went to the hospital for something else entirely, and were diagnosed with COVID. So if we remove 40% of the cases, do we still have a severe problem? On our hands? Uh, obviously not. Jiminy crackers, this lady really gets my goat. Let's continue. And that is what we've done. And I'm here to explain it to the American people. And I com I'm committed to continuing to do so and to continuing to improve. And we appreciate you coming on. We really do. Uh, just getting facts out there. I do want to read this quote uh, from this piece, looking at how universities are handling this. At Georgetown University, fully vaccinated students are randomly tested for COVID every week using a PCR test, which can detect tiny amounts of dead virus. Asymptomatic students who test positive are ordered to a room in a designated building where they spend 10 days in confinement. Food is dropped off once a day at the door. Now, Georgetown is still using a 10-day quarantine. What do you say to the major companies and universities who are ignoring your new guidance and sticking to the 10 days isolation or quarantine for asymptomatic people? Yeah, this is really important. And what I would say is that guidance that we've put out is for the general public. Um, we, I, I'm committed to wanting to keep schools open and to want to keep universities open. Many of these universities have uh, kids living in multi-person uh, rooms, so they're going to have to adopt our, adapt our guidance for the safety of um, their congregate settings. Right, but sticking in a room for 10 days, doesn't that sound extreme to you? Um, you know, that is what our guidance was before. If a student were to go and, and uh, our updated guidance actually says you can leave isolation after five days if you can wear your mask all the time, including um, being able to eat meals alone so that you uh, are not infecting others while you eat. That may need to be what's happening in these congregate settings. OK, so you would send that message to Georgetown, other universities, other companies that are at 10 days. Um, no, what I would say is if you're in a congregate setting, you have to adapt our guidance for that congregate setting. This, these guidances were meant for the general public. Hey, um, a lot of people live in a home with other people. A lot of people during the day go to places with a lot of other people. Most people, in fact, go to work 
outside their home to places where there are people congregating together. So I don't really see the humongous difference between the general public and students in a university. She's dodging the question. It's quite simple. Are these institutions towing some sort of authoritarian line? That's what he's talking about here. And she doesn't want to answer the question. Okay. Um, we had a lot of viewers tweet in about your appearance this morning. Erica uh, tweets, please ask Dr. Walensky, where are the treatments for COVID? Why are they not promoting them more? What is the delay with the new pills that were authorized? Yeah, really important question. We now have numerous treatments that we can use against uh, Omicron, including our monoclonal antibodies, both for, for treatment and prevention. Two new antivirals, one from Pfizer, one from Merck. So um, many opportunities now, remdesivir, to be able to be used in an outpatient basis with three daily infusions. All of those are now being distributed. Many of those um, are uh, uh, harder to make and take some time to make, but the administration is rapidly scaling up what they are able to purchase and get out to the American people. I mean, folks, is it just me or does this lady sound like she has become privy to some insider information and is trying to keep the lid on? It seems to me like she knows something, but is just really fighting and trying to keep it within and not let it escape her reptilian lips. We've heard news about how they're suppressing monoclonal antibodies. We've heard news about, of course, how they're suppressing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, politicizing those, using them as a weapon, calling people who take it crazy and deranged. They're eating horse dewormer, etc. Sounds to me like if they really cared about saving people's lives, they wouldn't be disregarding off-patent medicines that have been proven to be safe and effective. We'll use that little code word in place of new on-patent medications that they sell for thousands of dollars per dose. Do the math, follow the money, trust the science. Last thing, mentioning schools, you know, the situation in Chicago, they still haven't found a solution with the teachers union there, uh, and it'll be closed for a fourth day, Monday. Um, and they're not alone. Burbio, uh, which tracks school closures, has found more than 5,000 schools are currently closed for in-person instruction due to COVID. There's been a lot of money given to school districts and states across the country after the COVID relief bill. What do you tell them, these school districts? Yeah, you know, really importantly, I want to remind people that in the fall of uh, this year, we had a Delta surge and we were able to safely keep our children in school before we had pediatric vaccination. Fast forward to now, we have pediatric vaccination. Of course, every jurisdiction is going to have to make these decisions locally. But what I will say is the most important thing we can do is get our children vaccinated, get our teachers vaccinated, get our teenagers vaccinated, and then to practice all of those layered mitigation strategies that have been proven to work. Masking, ventilation, test to stay strategies have saved hundreds of thousands of person days for kids staying in school. All of those things have been proven to work. And you know what else has been proven and has actual stats to back it and has been consistent since the beginning of this thing? Kids don't get sick from this. Kids don't die from this. No matter what strain or variant you're talking about, case closed, period, the end. So again, her solution is to vaccinate people who don't need to be vaccinated. Somehow the vaccine doesn't work, and yet that is the suggestion. 
and the guidance. And again, people are asymptomatic. 40% of the cases are not real. And we're still recommending that places be shut down, test to stay, and etc. Well, if 40% of cases are proven to be asymptomatic, and of course there's a huge number more cases that are asymptomatic, then what is test to say? You test positive, you've got no symptoms, you don't stay. It's test to go. That's what it is. It's test to leave. And she's talking about all of these proven strategies. Well, what's proven? Where's the data? How come we're confused? How come nothing seems to make any sense? What is proven, lady? Golly. Dr. Walensky, we always appreciate your time. Great to talk with you. Great to be here. Thanks, Brett. All right, folks. Well, if you weren't adequately sold on how much of a villain this lady is with that last interview, then let's play another clip of her. And she's tag teaming with her best pro wrestling partner, Dr. Anthony Fauci himself, the Fauchmeister. And they're going to talk about the VAERS system. For those of you who don't know, VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It was created so many years ago, and I think the 1980s, as a response to vaccine companies being sued by private members of society who took vaccines and got sick, and some of them died. And so the government came up with this little system to track vaccine adverse events while at the same time absolving vaccine creators of any legal responsibility because they said, listen, we don't want to make these vaccines, these public health instruments, if we're just going to get sued whenever somebody goes and dies. So the VAERS system is, uh, I would say, a solution to that problem, but not a good solution. But nevertheless, it is a piece of data and if you've been following this, they don't talk about this in the news, but if you've been following this, tens of thousands of people in America alone have died. There are studies from all over, including a prominent one from Harvard University, stating that upwards of 90% of cases are not reported in the adverse event system, meaning that if they've reported tens of thousands of deaths in America, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And folks, just for a little bit of context... All of the vaccine adverse events recorded in the VAERS system, totally, for all the vaccines, do not add up to the same number of adverse events that have happened with the COVID vaccine alone, meaning all the vaccines, everything, all of them combined over the last 30 plus years, do not equal the same level of damage that this vaccine has caused. And for a virus that 99% of people under the age of 60 will survive, you have to ask yourself, does that really make sense? And so yet again, we have another set of testimony where these people, these heads of these large agencies, government institutions are brought before the panel to answer questions. And you tell me, let's listen to what sounds like a very fair question. And we've got pro wrestler number one, number two. CDC Director Rochelle Lewinsky and Dr. Fauci himself, head of the NIH, talking about how the VAERS system, well, you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Take a drink, folks. It, it's been reported by some virologists and scientists that this year around 170 people have died from taking the regular flu vaccine. 
The Vaccine Advisory Adverse Reporting System reported that the number of people dying after or following the COVID vaccine is actually in the thousands. That's 21,745 deaths as of January 7th, 2022. Now, this is what I'm hearing. I'll give you a chance to refute that or confirm it here. You know, is this true? Are we having that many people die after taking one of these vaccines? Senator Reville, thank you for that question. The Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System is a mandatory system of any adverse event that happens after being vaccinated. So if you get hit by a car tragically after getting vaccinated, that gets reported in the Vaccine Adverse Reporting System, the, the, their system. So the vaccines are incredibly safe. They um, protect us against Omicron. They protect us against uh, Delta. They protect us against COVID. They don't protect us against every other form of mortality out there. Okay, so this lady thinks that you are a complete dum-dum. She thinks that people are actually submitting reports that somebody died of a car accident after getting the COVID vaccine and that that's being counted as a death. If that's really true, create a transparent report and prove it. She came with no data. She's talking off the cuff about total nonsense and giving a non sequitur answer to a very straightforward question. By the way, if I'm one person and I can rattle off the truth about what's going on in the VAERS system and she has 12,000 people working for her and they can't figure this shit out as their day job and I'm just some scrub making a podcast, give me a goddamn break. This lady is reprehensible, vile in every way. She looks like she might be a demon. So after that non-answer, she deflects and says, hey, look, it protects you against Omicron, protects you against Delta. But actually, we've got the CEO of Pfizer telling a different story recently in a press conference. Here's what he had to say about the effectiveness of the vaccine that his own company is marketing. Take a drink of this. We know that um, the three, the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The three doses with a booster, they offer reasonable protection against hospitalization and deaths. Against uh, in, in, deaths, I think, very good. Um, and less protection against uh, infection. Now, we are working on a, on a new version of our vaccine, the 1.1, let me put it that way, that uh, will cover Omicron as well. And, uh, of course, uh, we are waiting to, to have the final results. The vaccine will be ready in March. So, folks, there he is, the CEO of Pfizer, saying that two doses of the vaccine will offer limited protection and three doses of the vaccine offers reasonable protection against hospitalization and death. Okay. So, if you want to understand how you're being duped, Let's look at what this vaccine does. It injects you with mRNA instructions that tell your cells to create a huge amount of the spike protein, which will then be fought against by your body's immune system, leaving you with a lasting immunity, so they say. But this virus is a chimera. It was most likely created in a lab. They have this guy... Peter Daschig from EcoHealth Alliance talking about how with a coronavirus, you can insert a spike protein into the viral backbone. And that's what they've done. This spike protein binds to ACE2 receptors in your nose, throat and lungs and latches on. And that's where the rest of the virus can go to work, making you sick. 
and the spike protein as well causes other problems. So when they say that the vaccine doesn't do much to prevent infection and prevent you from hospitalization and death, what they mean is that the immunity from the vaccine gives you protection against the spike protein overwhelming your body. Now, that may or may not be true, but in theory, that's what you would be getting. That's why you would be protected from hospitalization and death, because if you are going to die from this virus, it's going to be due to the spike protein. Now, some would argue that it makes no sense to overwhelm the body with spike protein when the only dangerous part of this virus is the spike protein. So it's kind of like you're dousing yourself in flames to become immune to fire. Doesn't make any sense. But that's the way that they're doing this thing. Regardless of what you think about that, it seems pretty logical to me, but we've got the CEO of Pfizer saying they're going to create the V1.1 of the vaccine, which will include protection against Omicron as well. By the way, they've never talked about the difference between Omicron and these other variants. There is no mention of that. Has the spike protein changed? Is the spike protein still there? What is the story? They don't explain that. They're all very vague about this. All the players, the vaccine manufacturers, the CDC, the NIH, Fauci, Walensky, all the key players, the media, etc. They're all being very vague about this, and they're treating you like you're complete idiots. That, to me, is one of the most offensive things about this. They're not giving any details, and they're expecting you to just comply with limited information. Here we are. The layman's ability to grasp science is higher than it's ever been in human history. We have access to more information. People are well-read. They spend their time developing their knowledge. And yet still, we can't even deliver the most basic fundamental information via the news media. Instead, it has to be all dumbed down and used to control you. The thing is, if it's complicated and nuanced, then it becomes a little bit more difficult for them to control you. If you start thinking about the nuanced details on a spectrum, suddenly there's nothing to latch on to. Suddenly people are having complex discussions and you can't control people that way. This is what's going on here. So there's really two scenarios. They either think you are completely dumb and manipulatable and they'll do whatever they can to control you, or they think you're completely dumb and can't handle the real information and therefore they're dumbing it down just to keep you in lockstep. Either solution hasn't worked. This virus, according to their data, has killed 800,000 people in America now. I don't believe that for a second. However, that's the thing that they're running with. So we're supposed to trust people who have completely mishandled this thing according to their own numbers. Do you see what I'm saying? Anyway, let's keep listening to this testimony, shall we? Do we keep uh, numbers of people that died following taking a COVID test from taking this vaccine? Do we have any idea? I'm just asking. I I'm sorry, those who have died after taking died a COVID test? Died following taking the vaccine. Is there any number count? Do we keep records on that that died of just uh, from... Absolutely, yes. I, I couldn't give you the, the absolute number off the top of my head, but our staff could absolutely get back in touch with you. We, we collect those data. You know Dr. Fauci? you have any clue on that? I don't have a number, but I think part of the confusion is that when you do a reporting, if you get vaccinated and you walk out and get hit by a car, that is considered yeah. a debt. I mean, that, that's the thing that gets confusing, that everything yeah. that happens after the vaccination, even if you die of something completely obviously unrelated, it's considered a death. So if I had metastatic cancer, got vaccinated and died two weeks later, that's a death. That gets I understand that. Yeah. And every one of those is adjudicated. So this is where it gets really insidious because Dr. Fauci is talking about how pulling reports of aggregate 
health data. Obviously, you're going to see people who have had the COVID vaccine who also died of a car accident. And when you pull the report, you're going to get, oh, looks like there's some overlap here. Oh, this person didn't actually die of the COVID vaccine. They died of a car accident. Well, Fauci, considering where you are in this organization, you should know, Dr. Truth Science, that that's not how it works. Every report submitted to VAERS is an individual report. It is simply a report about their experience with the vaccine, and that's it. It is not the case that they pulled this data from these massive healthcare databases. Untrue. These are reports submitted by doctors and only submitted if they have the habit of submitting them. It's not a mandatory system. If it is a mandatory system, what was the follow-up procedure of all these people who are driving through these stadiums and getting vaccinated? Were they all monitored by volunteers who injected them? Who was monitoring them? Their personal doctor? Many of these people getting vaccinated don't even have health care, let alone a doctor. So you mean to tell me that these people were followed up on? Total nonsense. Absolute hogwash. They think that you are a complete idiot. The arrogance of these people is not to be understated. They don't care about you, they never have, and they never will. These people are vile, reprehensible monsters, and they deserve to be put on trial for crimes against humanity. That's a big statement. I back it up completely. I'd say it to their faces. They're villains, and there's no understating that. Certainly my family has bought into this completely. And they've canceled Christmas, Thanksgiving, etc. My grandfather passed away, didn't get to see our two-year-old son, virtually at all. I mean, this is nuts. Due to this fear climate, these people have instrumented. And they're up here spouting their mouth off. Again, no pushback. Where's the follow-up? Hey, is Walensky going to get back to us with those exact numbers? By the way, there's a website called openveyors.com. They pull that data already. And if you want to go on the VAERS website itself, it's completely unmanageable. You have to be a goddamn data scientist to pull that data. And there's a guy who made this website, openveris.com, who is a data scientist, who is pulling those numbers from the stream. They are publicly available. Walensky, the CDC director, now admitting that 75% of COVID deaths happened in people who had four or more comorbidities. So let me ask you this. How many had three or more? How many had two or more? How many had one comorbidity? How many had zero comorbidities? Because that's the real number, right? You get somebody who has cancer, you hit them over the head with a sledgehammer, and they're going to die more often than somebody who's healthy and gets hit over the head by a sledgehammer. It's just that simple. You stack comorbidities, add another thing into the pile, they're going to die more often than people who are perfectly healthy with no comorbidities. So, does our society exist where most people have comorbidities? Okay, let's address that problem. How many people have one comorbidity? How many people have two? How many people have three? This seems to be pretty easy to figure out and then maybe base our response on that. Here we are at this late stage of the game. CDC Director Michelle Olinsky is now admitting that 75% of people who have died of COVID have comorbidities. And yet at the same time, she says, so the solution is to get vaccinated. No, that's not the solution. What it means is if you don't have comorbidities, you're perfectly healthy. You don't need this vaccine. You don't need to expose yourself to unnecessary risk. Anyway, take a drink of this because it's just flabbergasting.
I want to ask you about those encouraging headlines that we're talking about this morning, this new study showing just how well vaccines are working to prevent severe illness. Given that, is it time to start rethinking how we're living with this virus, that it's potentially here to stay? The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75 percent, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. And yes, really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. This um, means not only just to get your primary series, but to get your booster series. Um, And yes, we're we're really encouraged um, by these results. So you tell me if that makes sense. They start out, the anchor says, by the way, the vaccine seems to be working based on the numbers. CDC director inserts a little thing. Oh, yes, 75 percent had comorbidities, four or more. Okay. And by the way, vaccines work. That's how they wrap it up. How is it that this proves that the vaccines work? I don't understand. She's talking about how you need to take your primary series and your booster. What does that mean? Are these cumulative? You take your first one, you take your second one, you take your third one, then you're fully protected. I don't think that's how it works. I mean, at this point, I know a shit ton of people who are unvaccinated, who haven't died, who also haven't got COVID, strangely. And I've only heard of people who are unvaccinated and dying from the news media and their little trumped up reports and their fake numbers. And so what's the real situation? CDC director can't tell us, media can't tell us, pharmaceutical company can't tell us. What's the real situation? Will we ever know? I don't think so. But what we can do is maybe wake up to the idea that there's a problem. And people are waking up because even in these mainstream media reports, they're asking the CDC director kind of tough questions. Now, I'm not really fond of their follow-ups. I'm not fond of this response at all. But at least it's evidence that the veneer is starting to crack on the narrative. Take a drink of this. Why is the guidance so confusing? And and I just have to say, the American Medical Association said the new recommendations on quarantine and isolation from the CDC are not only confusing, but are risking further spread of the virus. How do you respond? Yeah, very important. Thank you for the opportunity to clarify. So um, for many months, years, we had isolation and quarantine guidance that said 10 days. And we are now standing on the shoulders of years of science that has demonstrated that if you are infected, you are most contagious in the one to two days prior to your symptoms and the two to three days after your symptoms. So we know that the vast majority of your contagiousness by day five is really behind you. So in this moment, um, where we're evaluating the science and looking at the epidemiology of the disease, um, we said five days of isolation. And then are you feeling better? Is your cough gone? If your symptoms are gone, we say, come out of that. You're okay to come out of that isolation, but you really do need to wear a mask all of the time. Now, folks, she said it right there. This is how these viruses work. You have symptoms and you spread the virus. That's how viruses spread. If this wasn't the case, then there would be no advantage to the virus, evolutionarily speaking, to create those symptoms, and it wouldn't spread. This is why the flu, colds, rhinoviruses, other vectors of the common cold have spread around, and this is why there's so many different variations of the common cold. It's because these symptoms of sneezing, coughing, runny nose, 
etc., they're conducive to spreading of the virus. So all this nonsense where you travel, you come back, you quarantine for two weeks, there you quarantine for a month. In China, they want you to quarantine for three weeks, both leaving and coming back. In fact, right now, China's completely under lockdown. If you wanted to travel there, you couldn't. It's kind of ironic because they were the ones who allowed people to flee the country and spread the virus throughout the entire world. Okay, whatever. Now they're saying you can't come in. little hypocritical if you ask me. Just notice how nonchalant she is about this. This is really a key factor. She's saying, well, you know what? If you're not having symptoms, go ahead, quarantine for just five days now. And by the way, you'll be fine. Well, the thing is, they locked down society, scared people half to death and forced them to get vaccinated with an experimental vaccine, seemingly for no reason at all. The solution here is simple. If you have symptoms, don't go out. If you do have symptoms, stay home. And by the way, simple solution, make it so that people have a bit of a safety net so that if they aren't able to work, they won't lose their hats by staying home. Simple is as simple does. And yet here they are, the CDC director in the spotlight doing numerous TV interviews, social media interviews, podcast interviews, whatever you want, talking this nonsense, oh, so nonchalantly. Oh, we've got it. Oh, yeah, just five days and eh, no big deal. If you're not sneezing, coughing, okay, stay home. That hey, lady, remember uh, the last two years where you ruined everybody's lives? Do you remember that period of time? Gosh, the gall on these people. Anyways, let's keep listening, shall we? Now, I have deep respect for AMA, but um, and I've read their statement. What I will say is we've gotten a lot of support from our partners in our public health spheres, in our clinical spheres, and in, um, you know, in our laboratory spheres as well. We have heard people who are interested in getting and doing a test. They have access to a test. They want to know how to interpret it. And when we updated our recommendations just this week, we provided guidance for how you interpret that test if you so choose to do take that extra step at the end of your isolation. And finally, all of this mixed messages or new messages has led to a meme on social media poking fun at the CDC's advice. Tweets like CDC now recommends eating straight off the floor at Waffle House. The CDC now says it's in fact okay to eat Tide Pods. The CDC says go ahead and get bangs. You know, it's amusing people letting off steams, steam, of course, but is there a larger credibility problem with your agency right now? And how significant is that in the midst of a pandemic? You know, um, we at the CDC are 12,000 people who are working 24-7 following the science with its ever-evolving nature in the midst of a really fast-moving pandemic. Um, and we are doing so, putting our head down to keep America safe. We will continue to update. We will continue to improve how we communicate to the American public. This is fast-moving science. All right, Dr. Rochelle Wilensky, thank you. So there you have it, everybody. That's just the CDC, Rochelle Wawinski, and 12,000 people doing their best job. And here I am, a podcaster. Here are many people who have called this BS out from the start, gotten it right from the very start. And 12,000 people, all of them probably with master degrees and a background experience. 12,000 people have to go to sleep at night knowing that they contributed to the worst mishandling of a public health situation ever, ever, ever in history. Either that or it's a big scam or some combination of both. 
the reality is here that we can't trust the people who we should be trusting most. I don't recall a period in my lifetime where people distrusted the CDC, especially as much as they distrust them now. But looking back, I think we just have more access to information. I mean, they botched this whole AIDS thing, the HIV situation. Again, Fauci was in charge of that. You look back, you see many of the same players were involved in that situation. HIV just disappeared off the face of the earth, and they'll probably take credit for that. But could it be that there's just a bunch of fakery involved in that one, too? Have a look. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff. You know, there's a guy named Kerry Mullis who actually invented the PCR test, the one that became so well-known during this COVID situation. And he's on record calling Dr. Fauci out, calling out these, as he says, politicians running public health. In fact, let's take a drink of this clip because we can get it straight from the horse's mouth. Why do you need me to retell the story? Take a drink. What is it, what, what is it about humanity that, that, that wants to go to the, all the details and stuff and listen, you know, these guys like Fauci get up there and start talking, you know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face, nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy and he doesn't understand medicine. And he, doesn't, he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people and they don't know anything about what's going on at the bottom. You know, those guys have got an agenda, which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. You can't expect the sheep to really respect the best and the brightest. They don't know the difference, really. I mean, I, I like humans, don't, don't get me wrong, but basically there is a, there is a, there's a vast, the vast majority of them do not possess the, the ability to judge who is and who isn't a really good scientist. I mean, that's a problem, that's a main problem actually with science, I'd say, in this century because Science is being judged by people. Funding is being done by people who don't understand it. Okay, who do we trust? Fauci? Fauci doesn't know enough to, you know. If Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it because he's been asked. I mean, I've had a lot of people, president of the University of South Carolina, ask Fauci if he'd come down there and debate me on the stage in front of the student body because I wanted somebody who was from the other side to come down there and balance my, because I felt like, well, these guys can listen to me, but I need to have somebody else down here that's going to tell me the other side. But Fauci didn't want to do it. So what is it about the human condition where we don't really actually look at somebody's background? We don't value the quality of the work that they do, the results they get. There's some other mysterious variables that we use to justify giving another person power. In this case, Dr. Fauci, whatever you think about him, he and people like the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, they've thoroughly botched their response to this, to the point where the only rational explanation is that they're privy to insider information. They know something that we don't know about what's been going on leading up to this and during this pandemic. It's caused many thousands of people to lose their jobs due to the mandates that they have enforced or supported. 
from an authoritarian regime in America, in Canada, Australia, and beyond. How is it that we can still look to these people to guide us? How is it that we are not all unilaterally calling for the resignation, considering that they are funded by tax dollars and that we, the people, are paying those taxes? Is this fair? Is this just? Is it just that Christmas, Thanksgiving, other holidays continuously canceled? Is it just that people can't go to church? Is it just that people can't go to the gym? Is it just that people can't go to a restaurant without getting an experimental injection? Is it just that people can't have their children go to school? Is it just that people need to work from home with three children there at the same time while trying to juggle their work responsibilities? Is it just that they get no refund? Think about this, folks. For all the children who couldn't go to school, do we get a tax refund there? I don't think so. This hasn't been accounted for financially or in any way whatsoever. And yet, the response has been to take money again from the tax pool and distribute it amongst the corporations, the largest ones, the most connected ones. The wealth transfer has been epic during these times. They print money and they use that to exchange it from the poor to the rich. So ask yourself, can you sit by and continuously say nothing? Or will you start conversations, even if it's a conversation with a cashier, the banker, whoever you interact with, whoever you happen to pick up the phone and talk to, whoever you see on a Zoom call, whoever you go to the store and talk to, everyone you talk to, you should be raising the question, has this response been warranted? Are these mandates justified? Do that. Start doing that. I'm doing it. My wife is doing it. A couple of members of my family are doing it. We're trying to spread the word one day at a time. Basically, at this point, if you're not doing that, you are saying, I don't care about society and let's just all die. Are you happy with that? Well, folks, another chipper episode <laughs> of Drinking from Human Skulls. Of course, my name is Donny Cardoni. If you like what we're doing here on this podcast, please do support us by going to drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. We'd love to see you there. Share the website with your friends. Share the podcast with your friends. Pretty soon we'll be active on social media. Uh, just not a lot of time these days, but I've got to get this stuff documented on wax, as they say. And I'm so glad that you've come here for another episode. There's a growing listenership. And I'm glad that you're coming back. And please do, as I said, share this message with a friend, with a family member, even with your most hated enemies. Please do share it with anyone. And thank you for listening. And I do say a goodbye for now.